It was at this moment that he knew. He bucked up. Welcome. You're listening to Bucked Up with Sam Buck. Internal monologue right now, now Lloyd. You fucked up. You have fucked up now. Now you fucked up. 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 Now you have fucked up. Welcome to Bucked Up. I am your host, Sam Buck, and I have two mediocre people with me. Um <laughs> Today, no, I got I got some amazing comedians and uh, human beings with me. I got Lloyd Legacy Sharp and I got Josh Adams. Welcome, guys. Hi. How's it going, Sam? I'm uh, I'm gonna start off with a story about the first time Josh and I went to go do your uh, open mic, oh. and you weren't there. Oh. I know you weren't there. It was Lee hosting. Shout out to Lee. I love Lee. He's an amazing person, and he brought his daughters. Do you remember this, Josh? And yep. this was uh, right after I had gotten broken up with. And um, I did... <laughs> Let me check my meditation app. <laughs> it was like two days at the time. At like, the time, it was about two days afterwards. Oh. And I... Um, Dorchester to feel I <laughs> Dude, I, we, we were trying to take him to as many fucking mics as we could just to keep his mind off it. Yeah. But I did crying, a like, lot of. <laughs> excuse <laughs> me. Men can have feelings, regardless of what the internet says. Yeah, this says. is a self help podcast. We're a bunch of men talking about our feelings. By the end, we're all going to be crying. Yes. And hopefully holding hands. Yeah. Well, Sing. six feet. Not six feet, yeah, not holding hands. Yeah. yeah, you got your gloves on for it. <laughs> no, but Lee, um, Lee brought his daughters, and that was when I decided to do a. Uh, a pretty long bit yelling about how I love eating pussy, and uh, Lee's daughters were looked horrified, and I was horrified, but I was going to do the bit <laughs> I was going to do, and it turned out I was their favorite comedian of the night, but it, it could have gone one of two ways, and that was the night I wanted to meet you at your mic, but you weren't there. But it seemed like it went pretty well. It it went all right. You won, I, you won the hearts of uh, two little girls yeah. yelling about inappropriate things. Young girls and comedians, kind of a theme this month. <laughs> everybody <laughs> love everybody. Oh yeah, I forgot to say the number one rule on this podcast is always positivity. Yes, I and, and, and not in a testing sense. Exactly. We can test a little. And no snitching. We can't snitch on this podcast either. <laughs> Yeah, no. <laughs> and uh, like that—that that was almost as good as uh, the last time I saw Lloyd. Uh, I showed up uh, Sunday night at the People Show, so it was like uh, uh, James Firth, uh, Alan Moreau, uh, Shelley Grunberg, Aaron Matthews, uh, Eli Levy, and uh, there was like two people there, and uh, they needed five to start. So like Alan Moreau went out and grabbed like three like Harvard students. <laughs> he was like he, was dra- he dragged them into the show. Just fucking come in with consent. So, so I'm sitting up front. By you didn't myself. know you were doing a bringer show, but it ended up being a bringer show. Exactly. And Lloyd does his set, and like coming off, I reach to give him a pound, and the room's black, and he fucking trips over a whole <laughs> bank of chairs, yes. almost <laughs> broke his neck. Because I didn't want to not. I saw him. <laughs> I, 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 I almost missed him, and I didn't want to like not 
uh, you know, give them the, so I went back and I put my life on the line and it was worth it. Because <laughs> I wasn't going to ignore his, uh, his reach for a high five. I mean, you, you totally overvalue the, you know, <laughs> the my <people>. pound. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't worth it. it everybody was, love it everybody! I took the spill. You can't tell me it wasn't worth it for me. So this is actually a good um, jumping off point that you, I wasn't there, but you handle things positively. You are a very positive person. I try. Uh, what bodies do you have in your basement? <laughs> no, but how do you, what do you, is there a way that you get your, um, anger out? Do you do any, like, do you work out? Do you journal? Do you scream into a dark closet? Um, <laughs> um normally when I, how I get my anger out is, it's weird. Cause like, there's no set way that mm-hmm. I do it. It depends on the situation. Sometimes it's writing sometimes it's listening to a song that fits whatever i'm feeling on loop until the feeling goes away Mm. that's usually that's the most like reoccurring way i do it because nobody has to nobody has to nobody has to deal with me but me yeah so i'll say that what's your angry music um depending on the situation it could be question (laughs) <laughs> it could be. Uh, it's a good question. It could be. That's why I have an interview podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a motherfucking professional. He's, he's, he's an investigative journalist. And uh, minus nine. <laughs> uh, he he knows who did it. Look at his shirt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's usually something along the lines of it's oftentimes a wrestling theme, like mm. Metalingus, uh, Edge's theme song. Uh, sometimes it's Endeavor After, it's sometimes Motorhead. Every now and then there's... I know Motorhead. I don't know anything about wrestling. And I... that's fair. If, if you don't know about wrestling in 2020, don't even bother educating yourself because it'll never be that good. Well, again. this is... I only wear rap tees because I'm a basic white boy. And um, <laughs> there's this rapper, West Side Gun, I like, and he releases t-shirts with wrestlers on them. And I buy them without knowing who the wrestler is, and then I'll look up who the wrestler nice. is afterwards. And uh, let That's me tell process. you the two shirts I have of wrestlers so far. I have a uh, a Chris Benoit t-shirt, and I have a, an Owen Hart shirt. I didn't know who Chris Benoit was until I was in the supermarket, and a man decided to come up to me and go, Do you know who's on your shirt? I was like, No. And he goes, Chris Benoit. And I was like, perfect. Now I have a name to Google. Yeah. And then I found out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's what I know about wrestling. Yeah, you know what? That's a, that's a definitely, that definitely happened. How did you get into wrestling? Did um, you like watching white men be fools? They weren't even doing as much malice. It's, it's, it's the spandex. <laughs> it's the spandex. Um, I was watching wrestling since 1990. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just... What got me into wrestling isn't what kept me into wrestling. What got me into wrestling is having a family of people who spent most of the 80s going to the Boston Garden to watch it live. Mm. And what kept me into wrestling was the theatrics and the pageantry and the just ability to live as a real person in a fantasy environment, which is pretty much, when I, from the ages of five until now, how I've been living my entire life. <laughs> and that's how you stay positive. Yes, that helps. So wrestling is big in your family. You live with your dad. Is your dad into wrestling? Or no? Uh, 
he's back into wrestling. So uh, you got him back into it? I did not get him back into wrestling. Because like po- like post-coronavirus back into wrestling? Have you and your dad like... been wrestling in your apartment? <laughs> so, like, I, he got back into... I can't get anybody into this era of wrestling because I don't like this era of wrestling. Um, my father saw Raw uh, in, like, two years ago. Mm-hmm. And so he got into it. And I watch it now with him because me and Vaden do a weekly podcast. And shout out! Do you want to do a shout out to it? Uh, yeah, uh, every Saturday, Trash Panda talks wrestling. Uh, me and Vaden Jones, he's the fan. I'm the jaded one. And so now, me and him, me and my father watch it together because one, I have to to do the show, but it's also for me and him to spend time together. He's the mark, which is a way of saying he's the guy that buys into it. He knows it's fake, but he, he lets himself believe, like watching a right. like and I'm the one that's just like, like, like Santa Christianity. <laughs> Basically, yeah, which which is funny because he's also a Christian. And so I guess it's easier for him. And I'm the guy that just I know too much. I've been too disappointed and I'm just sitting there. Like my here's a perfect example, just really quick. My father was watching Raw with me last week and it's this tag team match between the current champion and two guys who were obviously not going to win the belt. And he's sitting there because they set it up in a way. He's the heroes against the odds. He could lose, and he actually bought into the fact that they might lose. And he's he's pacing around his room, going, "Oh, I can't. Uh, oh, I don't want to." And I'm just sitting there, like, I don't want to ruin it for him, but like, they're not gonna fucking lose. <laughs> so yeah, there's that. Wait, so, uh, qu- question. So so like, what was the deal? Like uh, like Gronk won the belt, and then he got like jumped in his his driveway. Like uh, so so Gronk showed up. Had a cup of coffee at WrestleMania, and then follow, and then follow Tom Brady wherever he goes, like he does in real life. And when he realized that he couldn't be a wrestler and be a champion, he had to drop the belt. So they, the twenty four seven title is a title you can lose anywhere at any time, kind of like the hardcore title back in the day. And our truth basically found him somewhere, I guess, and rolled him up, and that was their way of getting the belt off of him, so he can go play. All ball right, ball so ball. so, so <laughs> I'm, like, I'm going to cut you <laughs> off right. here because it's my podcast. Uh, <laughs> And also, I'm going to say, I don't give a fuck about wrestling, so we're going to get out of the nitty-gritty in it before I go jump out that window. That's fair. We're going to talk about how wrestling helped you find yourself growing up. Oh, boy. You said it was like a family thing. Was it like, was that your output in life, like growing up as a child, was watching wrestling? Uh, I wouldn't say wrestling helped me find myself, Mm -hmm. but there was a lot of the way that I like to live my life that I saw in wrestling. Yeah. Like, before I even was really old enough to process what wrestling was and, and characters and this guy and that guy, I already had this... When I was five years old, I started living my life as a ca- cartoon character. And eventually, by the time I was ten, the method overtook the acting. Because it was my way of dealing with a bunch of things that I was not understanding when I was young. And actually, one of those things led to how this became a thing. But in order to not have to be horrified by a lot of those things, I just chose to live my life in my mind as a cartoon. And the only place that I saw people being a cartoon outside of cartoons was wrestling. Mm. So even though I wouldn't say wrestling helped me find that, it is a lot of what I saw people... I saw people doing what I was trying to do. Mm -hmm. And that's how I kind of connected. That's how I stayed with wrestling. So do you remember what age you kind of started... You said five was when you started going into that cartoon world? Yes. Was it an escape from, like, the real world shit? Yes. Uh, And is that stuff you still deal with now, or have you kind of gone through that? I mean, I've gone through it to the point where it doesn't affect me the way it did then. Yeah. But they are... 
things that I definitely remember that I can't really like act like they didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Those, the 90s were a period of time where like, I've said it online before, like I became a man before I was 15. <laughs> and the reason why I do a lot of the things that I do and live the way that I do now to, to, to a way that people are always saying, how does he maintain whatever, is because I learned what right and wrong was on a very high level mm -hmm. at an age where I can't play ignorant now. So, I, so there's a lot of things I saw when I was younger, things happened, but because of that, I wasn't able to deal with that then the way I can now as a learning tool instead of, instead of a crutch. So back then I just chose to be a cartoon in my own mind. Were you always positive or was that, did you go into bouts of uh, anger and sadness when you didn't know how to handle or cope with the stuff? Uh, definitely back then, definitely plenty of uh, bouts of sadness and anger and crying and outbursts. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Do you still get those now? I feel like I, um, have a semi good grasp on my outburst until one of course comes out. But <laughs> talking about men with their emotions. But no, I, I, I do do you feel like you have control over them now or do they still Now come out? and over the last five or six years, yes. Um, before that the further back you go, the less so. <laughs> do you have a routine or something that gets you into um, it doesn't have to be a daily routine, but do you have something that kind of gets you into the right mindset in the morning? Because I feel like that's a big thing for me. Uh, usually, and let me say this, quarantine has definitely affected that routine mm -hmm. um, because the things that I used to get myself in gear for on a daily basis have obviously minimized to just go through the house and not go crazy. But it always starts with a Spotify playlist. <laughs> like the daily mixes is all it, it, that, that just just throw that on the TV and that'll be some MJ. Uh, actually, it's it's randomized. So like whatever is in there, there's MJ, there's Smokey Robinson, whatever the whatever the um the mix decides to throw at me, and um, that's usually like the, the starting point. Yeah. Uh, other than that, there Insomniac's Virtue kicks in. The I get up and uh, work around the music. <laughs> Do you have a sleeping problem? Yes. Do you have a sleeping problem? Yeah. You both do. Uh, it might just be because I'm young that I don't have a problem with sleeping. I think that might be it. But You start getting back back issues, <laughs> knee, neck. Start wondering why you're alive. And yeah. Oh, that too. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for Lloyd to talk about that shit. Consider doing something about it and then failing three times. It's amazing. Uh, see, like, that, that's the new... Like, you're so... <laughs> like... You keep coming back to comedy. You keep coming back to karaoke, like all these things. Like, you know, I'm not too great at, but you keep coming back and you keep trying. I think there are some things you need to just just give up on. <laughs> like, you, you're, you're not great at killing yourself. Like, I think, like, the second and third time would be a little bit a little better, but no, we're... we're I'm at least glad you're, you're here. That's just positive. Yeah, I wouldn't have had a second guest on this podcast. Yes. Just <laughs> like, like Josh, come just in case Lloyd tries yeah. again. The fourth time's a charm. I need someone to finish it out. It's crazy. Like I, I, The only reason why I'm still here is because, much like a aspiring Hollywood actor, I failed to do with my life what I wanted to. And here I am. What age? So, so you're doing the big budget shit instead of like the off Broadway <laughs> stuff that you really want to sink your teeth into. Exactly. Oh, okay. it's, it's, instead of instead of instead, of, I'm living life instead of not doing it. Yeah. So this is you know it's just small, low layers. What um, 
when did you start being about positivity? And I don't know if that's your mantra. Oh, it's positivity. I feel like you preach it a lot. Like the um, amount of emo- emojis you <laughs> post. Um, I'd say 2013. So that was late. Yes. That was late. Okay. What, what flipped that switch? Well, uh, I was at a point where a lot of the toxic people that I had been around for the previous 10 plus years were, that had taken advantage of the vulnerability of me and my father after my mother passed away. Their stronghold on the circumstances were lifting. And as a result, my, my self-resolve was growing and as things got, as life got me further away from them, I was able to be more of myself. And the more of myself I became, the more being positive and maintaining positivity showed how important it was for me to maintain. Was it a conscious shift to get rid of these people and cut them out of the, your life? Or was this kind of, they were moving away and then you were able to get freedom? Uh, a little bit of both. Like, mm-hmm. it was, I knew long before I had the the circumstances to do anything about it, that these are not people that I need to be around and these are not people that are helping me progress in any way. But due to, I'll keep it to the question, thing, due to the circumstances around them, I couldn't do anything about them without somebody else getting hurt. Mm-hmm. And I gave you an example of that before the show of how that operates. So around 2013 two of the people were in the middle of a relationship clash. And them falling apart and their separation was opening up my household and allowing me to take control of it in a way that I hadn't while they were. And one domino falls and falls and falls, and uh, here I am. (laughs) But if it wasn't for them, I could have had this life a lot sooner. (laughs) Which is one of my few regrets. Do do you regret that? So was there like a day that you woke up and you're like, you know what? I'm gonna take life for my uh, for myself. Uh yes, actually, but it was almost fortune that it worked out that I could. Um, that day came in 2014 when I finally said no to the dominant t- toxic narcissistic figure in my life at that time. And who had pretty much been using the weakness of my, that I had when my mother passed away about 10 years prior against me until mm-hmm. I was like, wait a minute, he's not telling the truth. He's, he's, he's gaslighting me. But I didn't really get that until the day in 2014 when I said no. And I, I got to tell you, the, the, saying no, it is one of the most underrated joys in the world when you are able to just say no and let that be that. Not let anybody guilt you. Not let anybody tell you that you're wrong for it. Not any, let anybody tell you that, well, who do you think you're talking to? No, just no. And those two letters pretty much jump-started the life that I have now. Is, was there a direct correlation between that and when you started stand-up? Or when did... Not direct correlation, but what, what year did you start stand-up? Uh, 2016. So there was a little bit... What were you doing in those two years? Was that just the self-help years? Were those the yeah. trying to focus on yourself? Yeah, I would say that from 2014 when I... When, I when put, you said no. Yeah, when I said no. And in the next year when I was completely rid of those people. I mean, they tried to come back, but when, you, when you've been to hell and you get out, you learn not to take the exit route there again. So 
those two years were definitely about finding my identity and realizing how much of myself I had lost in what they were putting in my head in my vulnerable state. How much I was told that you need this and you need us and this and realizing being in a world that they weren't controlling, I was experiencing a lot of things that I never knew were or were true. And a lot of the childlike giddiness I have now is comes from the fact that there's a lot of things that I did not know and did not realize about life being in that toxic environment. And 2015, 2014, 15, even up until now, but before I started doing comedy, those were definitely the years where I was learning what the real world was, not the world that I was being told it was in my fractured state. Mm-hmm. You started uh, comedy late, too. Yep. We started right around the same time. Right around the same time. Did that, I guess this, was there a correlation between uh, comedy and self-help, starting comedy and wanting to like, or was it more of a... I mean, yeah, a- absolutely. Like if, just even going back, you know, before mm-hmm. starting comedy, uh, you know, like as a kid, I was, you know, was a, was a joker, a little bit of a class clown. But like when it got to points in life when, uh, you know, like writing a eulogy for my best friend, like uh, back in 2002, like, yeah, like I'm, I'm dying. Everybody was dying inside, but I'm trying to make everybody laugh and remember, you know, funny stuff. And it was the same thing when his sister, who was the love of my life, passed uh, about eight years ago. Like, I was there with his mom, with her mom, like, while she's in the hospital and I'm trying to, you know, keep, give people a little break and laugh, Mm -hmm. even though the whole time, like, you know, you're, you're You're destroyed, absolutely destroyed. You know, and I think that's something that, like, you know, most of us understand, like, to to some extent. Like, yeah, like, a lot of the times, like, the earlier you go through some some hard shit, the more time you have to kind of build that that skill, like, being funny to get through shit. Like, yeah, a lot of mine came a little bit later, like, but that's still sort of what I go back to, like, and and try to think about with people, people who, you know, fucking spend money to see any of and any of our tired asses fucking tell jokes. Yeah. But like, yeah, some people, they just, you, you, you need to laugh. And like, I, th- I think, you know, I know both of you guys pretty well. Like we're all, you know, relatively empathetic people. Like sometimes like, you know, if I can make you laugh, then it's okay for me to laugh too. Yeah, totally. And yeah, that's, and that's what that's we all where it comes. Do you, when stuff happens to either of you, do you feel like you can take that and grow from it immediately, or does it take time? I know it's a different situationally, but um, would you like to take this first or me? Um, I mean, it, it it's always going to be situation to situation, you yeah. know, and uh, yeah, like, and it, and things become easier after time, like uh. Like, I see it sort of like, uh, you know, people who, you know, will smash bricks and do, like, karate and stuff like that. It's You can't do that right away. Like, you're, you got to keep smashing and breaking your hands. It's what's called uh, calcium deposits. And that builds up, and then your hands become stronger. You know, the more shit you get hit with, the more you can take. The, you know, whatever doesn't kill you, all those cliches and stuff. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of like, uh, like if you're, you're on stage and you get heckled for the first time, you might freeze the fuck up. I know I did. You know, but like the hundredth time, you're not like, 
Yeah. You're not even thinking about it. You might have program responses already. So like, yeah, I guess, I guess it, it evolves as you grow up and the more shit that you go through, like, yeah, if you've been through a lot of shit when you're young, you're, you're predisposed to that. Like it might be a little bit easier to deal with when you're older. doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt the same, like, and, and leave, leave scars. Like, you know, you never know. Everybody's different. Everybody handles things different. I handled di- situations different. Like there, there have been times like things that have happened, you know, years ago that I'm still trying to trying to deal with, and that you know that's another reason why I'm doing this. So yeah, uh, I've always tried to take the things that I learn, and I use them as lessons, not crutches. And again, I learned a lot. I, I went. I, I learned a lot of things really early. <laughs> um. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I. I, was, I say I try. I try to learn from them. I because like. What are some lessons? I. I know. I know you're being vague, but like, what are some of the lessons that you learned young? Do you think that? Well, that's the thing, because like I. Because like he, the way you described it was like really like situation. Some situations you deal with uh, deal with better, and sometimes you can just get over it. I think because of. What ha- I'll I'll get into mm-hmm. well that that's another thing because the night the, the childhood thing that's a that's a long story mm-hmm. so, there's no simple answer so if you want that I'll definitely give it to you oh I'd love it but because of what I learned then and because of that stretch I spent around toxic period toxic people I'm preconditioned to take everything that I had then and everything that I learned now and immediately pull from it the lesson the fault be it on my my end or the other and go from there like there are certain things if they have a certain gravity to them that i might dwell on that it might bother me but my mother died in my arms when i was 16 nothing has hurt me that bad since so if you can't hurt me as bad as that did you're not going to get me very upset <laughs> and i'm able to and nothing so and, and to this day at least nothing has so i'm able to take immediately this is the situation. This is why I went wrong. This is what's fucked up about it. What was what was my part? What was their part? What should I watch for and on the other side? What should I not do again? And I take that immediately and I go with it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that's not how I think it should be done. It's just where my life has taken me. I instantly take learn, adapt, proceed. And until something to that level happens again, taking time to deal with it, aside from what I've already been through that has put me through that point. Probably isn't going to be a thing. Can can I just ask a yeah, question? Of course. No, of like, course. <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to hijack your show. I was legit I, just kidding. I hope you. <laughs> you know, like you 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 say like you know the, the the shit with your your mom at 16, like as horrible as that is, like doesn't that sometimes kind of give you? It's almost like a, a liberating thing the way you say nothing has hurt me that much since. Like you can, like uh, if you've ever been like scared of getting punched in the face. And then you get punched in the face and then you're like, like, that's not that bad. Or like you get you get over something like you get over something like that. and You realize you can get over something like that. Like what else can hurt you more than that? You know, there, there is sort of a freedom there and a confidence. And like as much as I can fucking logic that shit out, I'm still trying to fucking do it myself. Well, you were 16 when that happened, which are very important years. Right. And when something like that happens, you can either go one of two ways. And that ties into the question you were asking me before. Mm-hmm. Because you two have seen, and even our producers have probably seen, the hashtags I use, never give up, never stay down, keep moving, all that stuff. 
the day that my mother, just like the 1999 school bus incident that happened four years prior is the reason why this is a thing. The, um... Which, which incident well, 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 one, one thing at a time, one thing at a time. <laughs> uh, I will get to that, I'm sure. I'm sure he has a question about that, but... The, I don't know nothing about school buses. I have, well, as far as like now, I do. As far as like the no, of course, yeah, yeah. that. So, just like that, um, the day that my mother passed away is when a lot of those motivations, never give up, never stop fighting, came into my mind because that day was a Saturday. I went to school the next Monday because I did not know what else to do, and the principal said, "What the fuck are you doing here? Your mother just passed away. Go home." Right in high school, ironically enough, right over there. So, like, that, but that was a day where, and everybody came to me afterwards and said, you could have given up on life right there, and nobody would have blamed you. you. Your mother literally died in your arms, which, quick wrestling side note, that's how Eddie Guerrero died in Chavo Guerrero's arms. It's kind of creepy. But in a moment where I could have... I said have, no wrestling on this podcast, but I, I, I don't care I if you're relating it to your dead mother. There's no wrestling on this podcast. But I do a wrestling podcast, and the co-host might be watching this. <laughs> <laughs> loopholes um but yeah so like that moment is like when you when you're faced with that there's even a there's even a video with heal the world playing in the background where it says life in life you have two choices you, you can you can give up or you can keep going uh until until pain fades you know you, you have no other option and my mother dying in my arms is literally the day that i learned that lesson and you you say that you take things and you don't let them be crutches. And at sixteen, when something that like that happens, back then a lot of people can go <laughs> into crutches. But you, you, we were talking before the podcast, and this isn't a crazy thing because a lot of people are sober. But you're sober, mm-hmm. never really. But you didn't go into those vices and right. crutches. What were your kind of? What I, did you take for crutches at that age? Uh... The funny thing is, how I dealt with that was I started doing independent music, um, specifically because I didn't want to, you know, this or this. But that my, that incident is what left me at a in a shell of whatever people admire about me now that I could have become sooner in life. I that that pretty much my crutch was allowing people like the toxic people who came in later to run my life for the next 10 years because I didn't think I was good enough. That's my biggest crutch. From yeah. my, it's not how I wanted to deal with it, but it is the reason why it happened. Was that where your persona came from of legacy? Uh, actually, uh, that came from music. Um, but here's but a- the persona in music, was that kind of like an, a, an escape? Because with comedy, you yeah, are yourself. Right, exactly. But you... I would love for it. Do you want to describe? Um, I'm not going to let Lloyd do it. You, you can describe Lloyd's, um, his, Lloyd's music act. Music act? <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> his alter ego? His alter ego. Right. Um, yes. Oh, uh, M- uh, Michael Legacy Jackson? Yes. <laughs> he's, he's performing soon, uh, if, yes. I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, this Friday in New Hampshire, uh, Charlie's Half House. All right. <laughs> you, you guys heard it here, even though this is probably going to Air after, after that shit, anyway. Yes. <laughs> but uh, we're bringing in a lot of people to wherever we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, so so you know, Lloyd does the whole uh, the whole Michael Jackson, the he, the whole song and dance. It is it, Michael. It, it, J- wait, it, he's, he's got the he's got the the 
with like the military yep. jacket thing with the glove and and every Here, here's the thing i was i was thinking though man you got to make it more human you need that that the encrusted glove to, <laughs> to have the cutoffs you know that's a good point and good and point. and next time you do do it i'm showing up wearing a shirt that says respect the children <laughs> That be a grown-up. Right. I was gonna say, be a grown-up. Respect the children. That's classic. I love that. Right. No, but don't, don't, don't worry. Lloyd has no interest in looking at little kids' buttholes or anyone's buttholes for, for that. But matter. was that alter ego create? Did you go into kind of alter egos at that point to get out of? Um... So legacy wasn't an alter ego. It was actually just my rap nickname. But the reason why it stuck is because people started calling me by it. And I knew that as I started, as I continued to do music, I knew I probably wasn't going to be doing it forever because the industry is just, let's just say it is the reason why I turned down a $2 million signing bonus in 2008. But <laughs> people were calling me that, and I didn't want to just have a name for, for like just something that sounded cool. So I get, in 2005, I gave it an acronym. Uh, actually, no, in 2003, I thought of an acronym for it, but I didn't start adapting it until 2005, and that is Love Ever Growing as Contempt Yields. That pretty much is my life philosophy, and since I can add that to my nickname, I can't say that's an alter ego, that's really just me, Yeah. but because people were calling me that who weren't even, didn't even know I was doing music, it just kind of stuck, and I wanted, if it was going to stick with me and people were going to call me that, I wanted it to have meaning, so that's where Legacy came from. Have you felt the, the contempt? start to yield yet <laughs> no th thankfully uh can we talk about that music deal because i had no idea when you said that i was, did you guys know about this that we have a famous rapper oh, in our midst god if i was your dad i'd kick you the fuck out. <laughs> actually josh used to battle rap so i'll make you guys battle rap to end this oh, episode <laughs> oh boy um so yeah, uh, and, uh, don't worry, he'd win. Um, in two thousand, he'd kick my ass before I made him do that. So. <laughs> uh, in two thousand and eight, I've been doing music independently for about four years. And what was your name? Well, Legacy. Legacy, yeah. Um, I, I I wasn't anything like important. I had done like I'd done this. I'd been in the studio like three for the like. Two, two or three years that I was doing it, I started like making beats on MTV Music Generator and then just using a karaoke machine to put my voice to it. And eventually someone said, you should do something with that. So I started use, using the studio. And I recorded the song in 2008, actually called Respect the Ladies. And they, this, the place is called Karmaic Records. Like at the time, they, they were like a sub subdivision of like Columbia Records. Mm -hmm. And as any first artist will tell you, if you're if you're under Columbia Records, you're you're gonna get fucked. Uh, <laughs> he's he's still <laughs> recouping. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why John Cena only had one album. That's so, why you only have two shirts. Uh, oh, I got I, well, plenty of shirts. But yes, <laughs> I wish that was a reason. But anyway, so. The record deal. Uh, Respect the Ladies was actually gaining some traction at a time where it, that was crunk and, you know, all that music. A song like that, even no matter whether people like it or not, is not expected to really draw at that point. Mm -hmm. But it was starting to draw, and it was recorded under their, you know, umbrella, so they considered giving me a record deal. So I don't have a lawyer at the time. So I am reading... I should have gotten you guys on a podcast <laughs> sooner. <laughs> so, I, so I made the decision to read the entire contract. There is a contract. Uh, read the entire contract myself. 
Now, I have a friend of mine. Her name is Amina Gunn. She used to work at Midway. She might still work at Midway if Midway even still works. And she told me, like, she lived on Hewlett Street in Dorchester. Like, we grew up together. She said, on your first record deal, I guarantee you, you're going to get fucked. And it wasn't until I actually had a record deal in front of me and I read the contents of it that I realized she was right. Now, $2 million sounds like a lot of money until you consider what they were asking me to do in order to get that money, which I will get into. <laughs> and aside from that, as a person who got that close to the industry and started had, had, to, had to learn these things in order to figure out like how to progress, the money you, you make after you have to delegate it out to all of your uh, people that you need to sustain a music career, mm-hmm. $2 million, you won't have more than half of that in eight months. You got Don King. <laughs> well, I you, didn't You get ended Don up paying $8,000 for towel. <laughs> well, thankfully, it didn't get that far because I read the I read the contract all my and they, and they were saying, "Oh, well, it's 2 million dollars. What's wrong with you?" I'm like, well, "Let me read the contract." So, I read the I read the deal and including but not limited to things I would have to do or I would be in a breach of contract and not get this a large amount of money were the following. Uh, get a piercing here, get a piercing there. Get a tattoo right here that basically said "fuck women" or "women with the with the you know the circle and the cross out thing with it." I have to wear a red bandana on this leg, a blue bandana on that leg. I would have had to have a Ghost Rider, and I would have had to wear a, a wire for 15 out of 24 hours, and I would have to play this gangster gimmick character. And since I would be wiretapped and they would review it, if I didn't play the the the, the character for 15 out of 24 hours for the duration of my contract, I would I could I would forfeit the contract at any time and not get that two million dollars 2008 was the year when i had my first of three suicide attempts so let's just say i wasn't in the best position to further sacrifice myself for an amount of money that probably would have been gone within a year and a half and i will say this before before you continue there i'm not saying it's a bad thing there's probably somebody out there to fill that role but where i was in my life and what they were asking me to do and the little bit of my own dignity that i had at that point it wasn't for me and who you are exactly his, well, his soul is is worth three million at least. <laughs> no, so you did this? Did they just? Because you said your song was respect the ladies. Like you weren't. That's the song that that got their attention. So yeah. did they want you to just? They wanted was it kind of like wreck, overnight change who you were, yes. or were there kind of like, hey, you should go in there and start rapping about this stuff, or hey, get this <laughs> piercing first, and then. Hey, I'm going to get you uh, just a tattoo of a woman three months later. Now you're going to get a red circle with a cross through it. Well, dude, now is the time to remix that shit and re-release it on, like, SoundCloud or some bullshit as, like, the new, like, ally to the Me Too movement anthem. That's that's true, but... um, No, it's a good idea. if, if If I wanted to get back into music, that would be a good strategy, but... The thing I will give them credit for is that they they pretty much laid it out all on day one, and like if if they had led me into a false sense of security and say okay now you're gonna do that like I probably would have gotten burned but mm-hmm. luckily it was all there and they when I pressed them on certain questions the ante filled in all the details and see see even the positivity there like he's like at least they were straightforward about <laughs> it <laughs> but, but see the good thing at is least like they use lube when they fuck. <laughs> See that see that's a great thing like here you know for the first time ever we could say see Lloyd has been fucked. <laughs> so where did the respect the ladies come, come from? <laughs> the mood's about to come down. <laughs> oh shit. Okay. Everybody love everybody. 
Hey, I, you should pull up his rap song to play <laughs> as a background over this sad so- story. Yeah, can we find? Can we find the the? Is it the, out there? Um, so respect the ladies. So song? I don't know if the site still works, but it's it's on MySpace along with my other songs, and it's wait, what's MySpace? It's a thing that was once good, and now it's what Facebook is going to be in a year, and it's at MySpace.com/slash Lloyd Sharp the artist, if anybody wants to test to see if it's still oh there's your nice. uh comedy underground set oh nice remember, remember live the people comedy? can't see this just yet so. <laughs> remember live comedy <laughs> remember live comedy. so you I, oh. so 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 where do the respect ladies start yes that in itself and how much are, 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 is there a time limit here I want to. Show, I need. I need to know. Before. I mean, there's a time limit, but I'm. All not, right. Not we're we're like, good. We're good. good. Yeah. I mean, how good. much? How much time? Wh- like that, an hour? It, it's a long. It, it was not going to take that long, but like it's a <laughs> long story. I'm giving you 26 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it happened. <That's> <laughs> how about how about a 10 minute one? Yeah, that, that, oh, that shout out to Ani Mush, our our <laughs> producer. That was that voice. Hello. Yes, thank you. So Josh much. is not that good of a, a ventriloquist. <laughs> All right, yes. Yeah, so I think I can do it within 10 minutes, probably even not even. But where did this come from? Okay, so. Where did you buy that shirt? Yes. That's easier. <laughs> <laughs> I made it. Um, so I mentioned earlier the learning things at five and whatever. So here's an example of one of the things that I was, I, fir- I heard for the first time and couldn't process that made me think being a cartoon is easier than this. Uh, I have a cousin who I will not name because I'm a decent human being. And he's on my Facebook list. And no snitching. Exactly. Yeah, that's number three. Exactly. And Did you a- have a particular song, Lloyd, that, that you prefer? Uh... If you if, if it works, play I Swear to God. That's like the okay, best. That's the I'll best. find it. Sorry, please continue. That's the best one on there. I gotcha. Um, so I, for the first time, heard something in like this as a five-year-old. My cousin says, hey, Lloyd, you want to hear a joke? I'm like, sure, whatever. I'm five years old. Okay. He said, what's all that useless skin around a pussy called? <laughs> and I said, uh, uh Again, five years old. He said, a woman. And it's okay. You can laugh. Everybody and, laugh. Everybody. Um, it just, it bombed when Josh did it on stage. So I didn't think well, it was going to hey, work. The, the, the first time I heard that joke, a woman did it. So it was, it was see, okay then. See, even though it's, even though as an adult, even if that wouldn't be my humor, I've often said, if I'm the only one not laughing at a George Carlin concert, it's not the freaking joke. It's me. It's just not my thing. But I don't like Sam doesn't like me either. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but like hearing that at five years old, mm-hmm. like that, that just that moment is a it, 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 it sets the stage, if you will, for what led to the 1999 incident that this became a thing, because my family and I, I I'm, I'm gonna be very very generous here. And I'm going to describe it like this. I have a family member who came into the family as a result of my family, someone in my family, getting very, very uh, friendly with another member of my family, and I have a cousin because of it. That's all I'm going to say. So these are things that I was hearing, 
and some of them even privy to before I ever caught a Pokemon. And like I'm I, I, I went to my mother one time, um, I was seven at this point, and I, I I asked her this question the best way that I could think of it. It's 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 not gonna sound good in twenty twenty context, but it is what I said. Mom, why do we treat them so badly? And by we, I meant men, and by them, I meant women. Because mm -hmm. I'm seeing this stuff in my own family. I live in Dorchester in the 90s. Not exactly the best time to expect women to be safe on the streets. And I, was, and I went to school in Dorchester for about four years, so I saw a lot of that. And I, I, I didn't get it. Like, none of it made sense and more or more of the same of these 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 acts of just you know women not really mattering and women just had just being you know like you know just get in my car and which is which is not a 50 cent song it actually happened a lot in dorchester back when i, I witnessed a couple of these incidences and i would say why is i just i didn't get it like why 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 are they why are women being like in my mind i'm saying they because i didn't know any better but I'm, my why are women being treated like they can just have anything be done to them and they're just supposed to accept it? Because that's the culture I was growing up around, not so much that we're being taught to my parents, but whenever I wasn't home, that's what I was being exposed mm -hmm. to. So all of these things already in my mind that I don't understand leading up to 1999. And three years before that, I'll never forget it because my therapist, I always bring this story up when I tell this story because my therapist sent me an email in 2013 from a session she had with me where apparently a quote that she highlighted, like she put it in like pink or something in the email. And she said, I'm 10 years old, but I'm saying, I see a lot of people doing things that are not okay. I don't want to be a person that does things that aren't okay. And that's, that's the best that I could do to rationalize what I was experiencing. But she said, that's how I knew that you were going to be a different kind of man. So all this leading into 99 and some people have heard the story before but I'll I'll tell it for the sake of where this came from uh, I was on a school bus and we were on the way home there's one girl on this bus and I'm going to say girl because she was not a woman and there were several boys on this bus I'm going to say boys because same reason on the other side and <laughs> Gotta laugh somewhere in here, but it's not gonna end well. It was just like, can you explain that a little bit? Everybody love everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Um. So, basically, the entire year, they were always teasing. Like this, it's the same people on the bus all year long. Like it's like a list, you know, the, the assignment. They were teasing her all year long, and oh, we're gonna. But they never actually did until this day. Uh, when all six of them, not including me, the six other ones, I'm seventh, but there was all six of them decided to do what they were, I'm going to say threatening, but they called it teasing, threatening to do. And uh, I didn't feel like I could just sit there and do nothing, so I tried to intervene. I was able to get two and a half of them off of her, and those two of them and the other half... Uh, sucker punched me. Uh, I went down. They pulled my arms behind me like like this, and like one of them had their had were stepping like stepping on my. 
it's not it sounds really weird given and but it's what happened. They were stepping on my head and a part that, a part of this that I had that I had like suppressed for a long time mm. that that came back in recent like last year uh, really came back into focus during my therapy program. I started I I mentioned it. I was also held at knife point. So at this point, I'm in a position where if I make any sudden movements, I could possibly die, which means that I wouldn't be able to do the only thing that I was thinking of at that point, and that was save this woman, mm-hmm. girl. So what happened was, and I always maintain that my, my head is being pressed in one direction. All I can see is are the seats underneath where I'm looking. Uh, but the other boys that were not the ones holding me down so I couldn't do anything proceeded to do what they were threatening to do. I think that's, I think that's self-explanatory. And I had to, I was just there, unable to move, and I had to hear that for 45 minutes before the bus was stopped and pulled over. And I don't know how, I don't know what people, some people say, what took so long, what happened, and like, I'm pinned down. I can't see anything. I can't see behind me. I know that back then, like, the yellow buses had, like, you know, like, real radios, and they had, like, some, I guess they had an emergency button where if they pressed it, you somehow they're, like, you can alert dispatchers. I don't know how they did it, but I know that they kept, the driver apparently kept driving because I did hear somebody say, drive, drive. So I'm, I'm assuming that maybe one of them were, like, doing what they were doing to me to the bus driver and make, just making them go. But I, I'm also assuming that the emergency, the emergency, some form of emergency dispatch was like was reached remotely. Uh, I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing here because I, I can't see the driver, but I'm assuming that like while while whoever is making them drive, maybe he's reaching under, maybe he's pressing a button. Forty five minutes later, and I and they were they were they were doing this to her the entire forty five minutes that I was pinned down after that, and I and I could I could do nothing but I couldn't even like I, I could do, my arms are pulled back. I, I I could do nothing but I could just I had to listen to that. And eventually, the bus was stopped, and eventually it was cleared out. But the day after that happened uh, is pretty much the day that this became a thing. Understandable. How old were you at that point? Thirteen. Uh, I think my birthday had already passed that year. So after that, how how did you, as a 13-year-old, how did you react to that after that? Was there any, uh, did you have to go, not to court, but did you have to talk to people after this? Or what, what was your reaction afterwards? Um, uh, at that point, that was just uh, everything that I had already witnessed in my life. Uh, said to, done to, and said about women. Like, I, I already had this this previous, like, 10-year stretch of seeing women mistreated mm-hmm. and not understanding why. And that pretty much, that didn't answer anything for me, but it was just the worst version of the, every, every question I ever asked. Yeah. And how I dealt with it afterwards was I spiraled. I I became very hypersensitive to anything sexually related content tv music anything which is why me and a friend of mine on facebook had that conversation about the thong song and why i wasn't really ready for that at the time that it came out 
because I've kind of been psychological. I mean, not a good song, maybe, but I, I wasn't ready for it. And Cisco like, isn't that good, don't worry. No, no, he's, he's, he's not, but he had, he had his time. But basically, You can't be a good rapper if you're named after a mediocre food service. This is true. <laughs> Incomplete is forever the jam, though. But um, how I dealt with it was I... I, I, I I, I had to like that moment was when I decided I cannot I cannot be like them, like I don't care what I'm told I don't care what people try to normalize like I I, I that was like I I couldn't not, that was one of those things that I can't act like I didn't see that nor or hear that happen and I can't act like I can't act like those things don't happen I saw it I didn't even see it I heard it happen right behind me and. I saw the attitudes and the looks in the eyes of people like and all that stuff. And these are, to answer your question, like what, what lessons did I learn? Like that moment was the epitome of things that I learned before I turned 14 that I cannot act like they don't happen. I cannot act like they're right. And I cannot act like I don't see why they're wrong. And the most positive thing I did after that was just establish the fact that I was not going to be like that kind of man or those kinds of you know males and I had to establish to myself what I would not justify in future situations like that. And that makes total sense and that goes back to why you could never sign that deal cuz that is not who you are and that it's kind of like selling your soul like they talk about selling your soul to the music industry well that literally is you're selling who you are as a human being. You're giving that up, and of course you had to turn that down. And there's a lot, and that is a true thing in the music industry. And there's there's probably somebody for that role. I just you it, know. it can it couldn't be you, especially because exactly. you are such a a good positive force in the Boston comedy scene, and you kind of I hate to say that you have no one has to go through anything to get to where they are, but your past is. Th- the equation that leads up to you who you are in any uh, moment and I think that shows why you do have that shirt you are a man you respect the ladies and you're positive you try to help everyone and you try to bring everyone along I think that is something that you do too you are very loving you're giving you're helping just and, on a much smaller scale than Lloyd but you had to uh, go through stuff to get to that point. Do... I guess this is a... When you went... When you were 13, you went into that cartoon world, I'm guessing, deeper. Mm-hmm. When did you pull out of that? Uh, I never did. <laughs> You're still there? Yeah. Like Lloyd's not a pull-out guy. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or a put-in guy, so... <laughs> Oh, wait, speaking of which, I, I got a question. So you said like you know that thing turns you off from like anything like sexually exploitive or anything like that. And, you know, m- most people in the scene sort of know you're just kind of doing your own thing. Like you ever you ever think about having a family or something like that? Or I can answer this question. Well, that, we're hoping you <laughs> fucking, fucking answer the question. So why is it that I'm still a virgin at 34? I mean, I don't think that's a pro- asexuality is a big no, no, thing. No, not that, that you're that. But no, you're like, right. But like, but I know that that's something that a lot of people. Did you see are. the new Terminator? Well, Arnold Schwarzenegger was asexual in ba- that ba- movie. Basically, everyone who's had sex and knows how good it is is like, "What the fuck, Lloyd?" Right. Exactly. You so, know? so I will, I will concede because he did kind of make a connection there, and that incident 
isn't the reason why I have not had sex to this day. Obviously, back then it didn't make me, it didn't endear me to it at all. But mm-hmm. my reasons for not having ha- having sex so far in life is actually has very little to do with that, and it's just more of the general principle. I don't like, I don't do one night stands. Just don't believe in it. I am a person that believes, and it's not a religious thing either, because I don't people. Oh, no, I think that at least. Trust you, me, we know it's not a religious thing when you have respect the ladies on your shirt. <laughs> right, exactly. It's <laughs> never everybody a religious thing. Exactly. Uh, yeah, Jesus didn't die for that. Um, <laughs> according to the white church. Uh, the thing is that, like, I have... I believe that sex should mean something. This is my opinion. I'm not saying I'm right. But for me, it has to be with somebody that I do care about on that level, whether we're married or not. The second thing is I refuse to have sex unless I'm dating someone and only with the person I'm dating, which is the most boring thing a man can say in 2020, but it's been the reason why, but it's a big reason why I've been a virgin for the better part of the last 20 years. And while I don't think that, and I don't, and I, actually Trevor Dion actually mentioned this to me at Rhode Island, because he actually came to me, and I respect him for this, because rather than going and talking about behind my back, he actually came to me and asked a question. He said, you know, is being a, is not having sex with women, is that some kind of pride thing for you? Is that something that makes you feel like you respect women more? And I say, no, because I don't think that I respect women any more or any less than anybody who has had sex. The reasons why I haven't had sex right now are reasons that I stand by for the reasons why I stand by them. But as far as being better than anyone who has or or does that does that make me feel like I'm like a feminist or something? No. And. The way I play it up on stage as being, you know, chasing a 40-year-old virgin record and things like that. <laughs> like, when you find out that I'm a virgin, it's, that's funny enough in itself. A, a, a man in his 30s is a... It's who's funny a, to me because I'd fuck you right here. <laughs> right. But it's like, it's unusual. So, like, the way I deliver the... The way I play it up on stage, you know, like, you know, I, you know I, I, I would... I'd be terrible at dirty talk, you know. Actually, 69, I say gray summer. These are, <laughs> these are things that I play up on stage in that bravado way that I do, but... They that's just me using my real life in order to help make do for a joke, but it's nothing that I think I'm higher than anyone for, and that's just for anyone that might anyone that might wonder what Trevor Dion wondered and not be as nice as he was about it. There's their answer. I love Trevor Dion. Uh, I uh, love Trevor too. He's amazing. So so basically, ladies, like you gotta put your time in, <laughs> fucking cook cook for this dude or something. <laughs> there needs to be a woman who makes a shirt that says "Respect the Legacy." Oh my god! <laughs> it should it should, it should be <laughs> Can I make shirts that say "Respect the Legacy"? Yes. I mean, All right. Is it gonna have like a dead wrestler? On <laughs> Chris Benoit did not respect his wife that day, <laughs> or his kids, <laughs> or his kids. Yeah. Well, one of them. Yeah, there's one he, still around. He wasn't there. He, he respected one of them. Yeah. <laughs> he forgot about him. <laughs> you know what? On that day, that was a form of respect. That was a form of respect. <laughs> if he, was, if he didn't forget about him, he was... Anyway. No like, two, like two days before, the kid was like, my dad never remembers me. <laughs> He's like, son, I'm sending you away. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember you because I want you to live to forget me. Um, but that's the thing. Until he sees me in the mall with my shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think he'd forget me <laughs> less if I was in the mall with my shirt off. That's a sketch right there. You two need to shoot that sketch. 
We need to get Chris Benoit's child. <laughs> Chris Benoit or, Jr. Or a reasonable facsimile thereof. You're just going to like hang out in his neighborhood in your yeah. sweatshirt, <laughs> just, sweatshirt just every day? I'm going to just take my shirt off when I see him. <laughs> but yes, uh, that, is, um, that is the answer to that question. Josh, follow-up question for you. Why don't you respect the ladies? <laughs> <laughs> like, me me and Lloyd have this great yin and yang sort of thing. <laughs> like, aesthetically in both inside. So, I, don't, I, don't, I, I, I like to think that I... I'm I, happy that I'm not getting canceled. <laughs> <laughs> you can't cancel Sam Buck. That would be bucked up. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> now you bucked up. <laughs> It's, it's it's like how do how do you compare to Lloyd? Like he like he's like that line in fucking uh, in Forty Year Virgin. Like I respect the lady so much, I completely stay away from her. <laughs> <laughs> like I, you know, I don't fucking lie to women. I don't tell them shit that isn't true to get laid. Like you know, I'll, I'll tell them I'm an unemployed comedian with a small dick, and if they still want to <laughs> fuck me, like that shit's on them. One of those things is a lie. <laughs> All right, yeah, that's true. And you're on a podcast right now, so you're not a comedian. <laughs> it's my podcast. I'm not a comedian either. Why do we all hate ourselves? You need to get a podcast where you interview me about my dark past. <laughs> so, Sam, where is it that you bucked up? <laughs> His mom did. A lot. Oh, did she fuck up or sideways? I'm sorry. Uh, next question. <laughs> I, that's why I have that joke. Daddy issues are so 2010s and the 20s were dealing with mama trauma. This guy can rhyme. He should have been <laughs> Legacy Junior. <laughs> So, I'm gonna go. I'm I'm leaving you be for a second because I've I've stay close by. Yeah. <laughs> what flipped the switch to make you do comedy? We've um, heard we've heard all of Lloyd's life. So so I decided to quit after two suicide attempts. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh. <laughs> Like it, it was, it was always like one of those things. Like I had thought about, you know, mm. you know, you know, you're you're a kid, you're watching a comedian. It's like, how fucking awesome would it be to get paid to make people laugh? And then, like you know, like I said, uh, as you live and the sh- you know shit happens, and you see like humor is starting to uh, be, you know, your defense mechanism or, or what have you. Um, and then, like. Uh, Back in 2012, when uh, you know this this girl I had been in love with since I was 14, best my best friend Helen passed away. Uh, another good friend of hers, uh, who had actually dated you know uh, before, was uh, comedian Chris Post, uh, awesome guy. Shout out, great comedian. shout out to Chris Post. Um, and, uh, I was, I was living in California at the time and like shortly after she passed away, uh, Chris started going to Mike's and, you know, I, I was still kind of getting my sh- shit together, still getting my shit together. And, you know, he was doing it and I'd call him from time to time. Like, you know, I'm thinking about doing this too, man. Like not trying to steal your fucking thunder or take everything away from you because, like, we both have similar fucking tattoos. We both have, like, the sicko sign fucking somewhere, like, Boston Skyline tattoos and went to the same school. Are there matching? The same friends. Not matching, no. Thank fucking God. Um, 
you know, but like he, he, he said to Al Christakis, like, couldn't Josh fucking give me one fucking thing that could just be mine? But, uh, you know, he pointed me to uh, uh, Yings and Hyannis. Uh, shout out to Yings and Hyannis. Uh, there's, there's a mic, uh, you know, where uh, Chris pointed me to, and, and I went there for the first time. I, I ended up having to follow Al Christakis, which was... Tough. Which was that's tough. actually <laughs> this week's episode, or we're recording this in advance. I don't know why I'm saying that. That was two episodes ago. <laughs> two episodes ago. Uh, breaking the fourth wall, Sam. You done bucked up again. <laughs> so, but, but uh, like uh, just before that, uh, I, I was the best man at, at my best friend's wedding, and at his wedding, I'm fucking drunk and fucking coked out of my mind, and ended up giving the best man speech, and I sort of winged it. I, I went after his brother, who can, you know, got so drunk he could barely speak, so it was, it was, it was, it was a nice, relaxing set, and I ended up just, just going off for like 10 minutes, and, you know, Ferris's brother Ezra's falling out of his seat, and, and you know, people are, are laughing their asses off, and, you know, the photographer's like, I've been to tons of weddings, that was the funniest best man speech I ever heard, and, like, I... I I just sort of been a, been addicted to it since then, you know, just like most of us. Like, you know, it doesn't matter if you bomb your first time. Like, you get one laugh, and you know, you gotta you gotta keep hearing that shit coming back. So you said you saw the comedians at a young age, but you started comedy uh, later in your life. Was it something you always wanted to do, or when you said when Post started doing it, did it kind of like bring it back into your head? Um. So, you know, yeah, like I said, it was something that I always wanted to do. I, I sort of bounced around a lot, like, you know, college after college. I was, was in Oakland. I was in L.A., which would have been a great fucking place to actually get the balls to start doing this shit. But I wasn't really thinking about it at the time. I was kind of. So it wasn't. I, 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 was, I was in a better place at the time. I'm like, oh, the fucking sun is out. The, the, you know, I can walk into a store when, and buy some weed. When like shit goes girl, down, you're like, I need you to know, go on be- stage. Beautiful, and talk to beautiful women everywhere. Like, this so. Pre pandemic. Yeah, pre pandemic. Like, I hadn't lost all the fucking people I love in my life. Like, I wasn't quite there yet. And then uh, 2012, when, when I, I, you know, suffered this, this loss, uh, I, I spent the next, you know, I'm, you know, seven years trying to get over that shit and and you know we all some sometimes feel into that pattern of depression where you're you can't get out of bed or or you know you're can't sleep and then you can't function the next day or you know and just wasn't being kind to myself and and still kind of have a have a hard time like uh dealing with the anxiety and and the the depression it's like you know when scott died when i was when i was uh, i was 19 away at college like scott was the toughest, funniest, most social kid. He was he was my hero. He was a few years older than me, so like he, like he, he I never saw him back down from a fight or a challenge verbally, physically, whatever. And he killed himself. Like that's my hero. Killed himself. Like I, I was like, how can, you know, life be so hard that it took out the strongest fucking person I know? And like, you know, as much as I was a, I was confident as a kid. Like I started to kind of recede back into myself. And, you know, almost like Lloyd living in a cartoon, but like, you know, it, 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 it wasn't like that. It was, it was just in my head, like f- falling back onto like, you know, art and music and stuff like that and trying to, trying to fill time with that. But like, I wasn't going out, I wasn't socializing, like, you know, I'd be canceling plans on people. Like I, I sort of fell out of, out of groups of friends that I grew up with because I was, I was just in a bad place. I, I wasn't dealing with it well. What flipped the switch? Um, 
my ex-girlfriend convinced me to go to therapy. And I realized when I was in therapy, I wasn't talking about my shit. I was just like, this is how this Bill Burr bit fucking relays to like what I'm going through now. Or like this comedian said this or like I'm thinking about doing this. It was like, you know, what the fuck am I paying you for? Like, <laughs> you know, I, I I could go fucking sign a list and talk like talk to five people for I, I, it's hack as shit. It's a hack ass fucking premise. I know that, like, oh, free, free fucking therapy. But, like, it's true. Like, it is it, true. It, and, and I actually had to go to therapy to be like, all right, I could pay this guy X amount of money and listen to me for fucking 50 minutes and he shoves me out. Or, like, I could talk to 20 people for five minutes for free and get the same level of stress relief. And, you know, I'm not fucking going back to therapy anytime yeah. soon. Did, so. Are you still in therapy? Yes. Do you enjoy it? Do you think it's helpful? Uh, it, it has been when I started using it properly. Um, oh, so I, I fucked up. <laughs> you don't <laughs> fuck up. Was, well, like, last year... You were an open micer of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, because how he got into comedy, how I got into comedy, couldn't be more different. There's the yin and yang. But therapy is something that... Um, like, it, it wasn't until I started get, like getting better because of the fact that I was going to therapy and taking my therapist's advice, but also not listening to everything he said, because there are some things that my therapist uh, and my psychiatrist... I had a therapist and a psychiatrist back then. Now I just have a psychiatrist who's also my therapist. Like, he prescribes medication, but he's also a therapist who... he Since the therapy department has gone to Fenway, he plays both. Um, It helps because I use it right, Mm -hmm. but... It's also not for everybody. So for people who feel like therapy doesn't do it for them, I can understand that. It's kind of like meditation. I meditate every morning, and it helps me, but I don't think that's for everyone. Like, not everyone laying on the floor for 15 minutes with their (laughs) eyes closed, breathing, is that's not going to, like, help everyone in the morning. Some people need to get up. How did you get into comedy? You said it was the opposite of Josh. Yeah, I went to the Winter Circle in 2016 uh, because I had... uh, Jada Mule, pretty sure people know who that is. Uh, I met them... Before I ever started doing comedy, I was just in New Hampshire, as I was very often in 2016 and 15. The Legacy Tour did not start with comedy. But I was up there, and I met Jay, and we, we, we were pretty much friends from, like, the jump. And they went to the Winter Circle one night, and they want to come? And I'm like, oh, sure. Uh, you know, what is it? It's open my comedy. Oh, cool. First time I ever heard of it being done locally. And I go there, and I'm watching, and I'm enjoying it as a fan. And everybody in this room knows how I get when I watch comedy as a fan. And Dave Radigan, who was running the mic at that time, uh, noticed this. And I think Josh Day might have also had a hand in it. Um, But it ended up being Dave Radigan who uh, came and said, you know, uh, hey, kid, you got a lot of energy. You want to go up next week? I'm like, no, I didn't come come here for that. I'm just here to watch Jay. Are you sure you don't want to go up next week? I am sure. I just came here to watch Jay, and now I'm going to go home now. Well, we signed you up. You're up next week. What? That's how I got into comedy. (laughs) Just a, a fan who was given a chance. And that's literally how it happened. Josh Day and Dave Radigan and maybe some other people thought that I had a ton of energy as a fan and thought that I would work out on stage because of what they saw from my energy as a fan. You figure it out. 
He has more energy than both of us combined on stage. Oh, that's, that's, like, that's an understatement. Like, I'm, I'm fucking Bill Belichick on stage. Bro. I got zero fucking personality. My act outs are all slow and shit. Both of you guys are such good joke writers, and it makes me so mad. Because the only way I can write jokes is if I have a story... And I need to get, like, each part of it. But I can't just sit down and write jokes. Both of you, you'll, like, Josh will call me on the phone and be like, hey, I got a bunch of, like, I got a couple new premises today. And they're such good jokes. You, you fucking write, like, 15 jokes a day. Yep. And you, I can't even think of the premises for 15 jokes a day or even the three jokes that you write. I'll get a new joke every two months. Like, <laughs> and I'll sit down at my computer every single day. But that's the only way that it works. Why are you guys so fucking amazing? Well, why I do things that you think are amazing, uh, I won't, I won't self-verify that, but I will say that I always had like a lot of weird ideas that came to my head, and comedy just gave me a reason to write them all down every day. Mm -hmm. That's the simplest way I can put it. <laughs> no, it it kind of changes over time. Like it all depends on sort of what. I'm trying to get out of like what I'm, what I'm trying to do um, was like we were talking about earlier, like uh, on, on the drive down here, like uh, I, I grew up a huge Bruce Lee fan mm -hmm. I'm wearing a Bruce Lee shirt right now. He has the tattoo. <laughs> I got a tattoo to match. Um, it's because I was fat at the time and I wanted to make sure girls had like nice abs to look at. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I, I that down. Like I, I, as a kid, I I was addicted to like the martial arts movie. My I, I was grounded once. My dad snuck me out the house to see Bruce Lee movies, and I was addicted ever ever since. And like a, a, a lot of what I love about it is the philosophy that uh, that like moved from classical martial arts, where it's like you gotta do this, 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 and this, to like what works for you, and taking a little bit from everybody. You know, it's kind of like like we're all fans of comedy. You know, we got our favorite comedians that we'll watch and like. You know, try to see like what what's your style, what's his style, like how do you apply that style? You know, it's like you, uh, our our good friend from uh, from Cape Cod, uh, Edwa. Shout out, to shout Edwa. out, Edwa, paperback comedy. You two, you two, AJ, I guess. Uh, AJ <laughs> Haypenny. I love no. you, AJ Haypenny uh, and Edwa. <laughs> shout out, positivity. Uh, but Ed is Ed is always talking about the fat of jokes, like you know, and uh, we're not talking about Al Christakis. <laughs> Well, yeah, we're not he talking about Al. That's a, uh, <laughs> Al, Al's good fat. Al, Al's, Al's all good fat. Uh, a little, a, a little anti-Semitic, but but good fat. No, I'm just joking. Um, only, it's only when I'm around. Uh, but uh, you know, he'll he'll talk about like you know certain comedians on the Cape uh, have very long-winded jokes that kind of meander. And you know he'll talk. Well, you talk to us like sometimes you gotta cut the fat, but also like sometimes there's there's good fat on jokes. Like he'll he'll talk about uh, Rodney Norman's, uh, like the cultural market joke, like where it drags on and on, and it's it's a lot of, of fat, but it's all good fat, you know. Yeah. Like sometimes I'm I'm trying to trying to think about like I want to do things in my voice, but sometimes try to see it from the perspective of somebody I might admire, like, and take, take something different from everybody. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, switching up, like, like someone I love, like that everyone, like Hannibal Burris. Like, I love the way he switches up 
like his speed, mm-hmm. like a fighter. Like a, uh, like sometimes he's talking real slow, but then he speeds up and he goes real fast. Like you know, like it, and switching up like that. Like I see that kind of like a fighter, like uh, like a martial artist would would identify like speed or pressure or uh, you know strength. Like all these like different things that sort of relay back to how I perceive you know, comedy or I'm writing bits. I try to take a little bit from everybody and you know, write in everybody's voice. Cause I'm still like a year plus into it. I still haven't really found my voice or my method, my tactic, my process yet. Do you write every day? Do you have a daily routine that you do? Uh, no, <laughs> I wish that I could be like, yeah, wake up and I'll fucking, you know, write down. Like, you know, sometimes it, it, it's, it's those, uh, those premises or those jokes that come to you organically and it's like, all right, everybody, like, I got to go fucking mm-hmm. write this on my phone. and Or, you know, if you don't have time, jotting down that premise so you can go back to it. Like the one I sent you the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, dude, that was fucking crazy. Like the timing of this. Yes. I wrote like a, a, a Trump fucking with black people on Juneteenth joke like three months ago. And <laughs> it's, it's a, it was so crazy how close I was, man. Oh, my God. So we got to go buy a lot of tickets after this. Yes, we were talking you, about. Called it. you definitely uh, called it. Do you have a daily routine? Do you have, do you have uh, like my writing process or just writing like? Do you have just a daily routine that gets you? Do you write every day? Do you do certain things every day? Do you? So, I try to write every Monday, as far as a session goes. That's your writing day. That's like when I actually like take the the bullet points and everything that I that come up that come to me throughout throughout the week and actually try to uh, make sets out of them or like make jokes out of them when I take the ideas and actually put something on them is usually Monday uh, during the day, during the week it's just more of something comes to me uh, here's here's something I write it down and then that is a bullet point that happens every day but it's there's the only like routine is on Monday is when I actually sit down and say okay set 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 how about non-writing do you have any daily routines uh they, aside from the morning, like, Spotify jump off, uh, it's it just nothing but a playlist. Like, once he does a play, <laughs> I got my playlist for the day, and then and he then just, add, like, goes then, back to sleep. And then, and then, as, and then as, it, as it, like, I just adapt as it goes. But the routine, the routine that I have for the day used to be some form of preparing for whatever I am going to do later on in the day, which four days out of seven, whether it's comedy or something else, would usually revolve around that. That hasn't been the case for about four months, so now the only routine thing where it's a thing that happens. Did I ask this question already? I'm such a bad podcast host. You didn't ask. Great, sweetie. (laughs) All right, I'm officially stepping in and taking over. Josh is taking over for the rest of the podcast. So you asked me what my routine was, but it wasn't like a a post cursor to the writing thing. I like this is great. See, see, this is what like you you asked Lloyd like fifteen questions at the beginning, and then asked me one and went back to Lloyd like you should kind of do like one and one. Uh, see, it's a learning process, growing pains. And on you're that young note, still. And on that note, thank you guys very much. Thank you. We learned a lot about you and nothing about you. That's fine. That's but fine. you'll be. I back. like I like being an enigma sort of. All right. Thank you guys very much for it being here. It was at out. this moment that he met. Thanks, Sam. He See you next week. Wait,